0: Hey, it's Travis. I wanted to take this moment to discuss our sponsor, BetterHelp. I used to think talking to a therapist was a sign of weakness until I started talking to one. It has really helped me limit the negative chatter that can infiltrate my brain. Therapy has helped me become a more insightful person, father, and husband. That's why I'm excited to tell you about BetterHelp. Their online platform makes finding a therapist incredibly easy. Fill out a brief questionnaire and you will be matched with a therapist in just a few days. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, or click the link in my show notes. In doing so, you will be helping the show and you will receive 10% off your first month if you aren't clicking with your therapist, if you're not getting a good vibe, BetterHelp will allow you to switch your therapist at any time with no additional cost. Online therapy is a game changer for me. I have such an erratic schedule. I work nights, weekends, late, early, holidays, you name it. Being able to video call my therapist from my phone in a call room, at work, or in my car, or whatever, it's extremely convenient for me and it allows me the time and the, the place to actually get my therapy in so if you're struggling if you need to talk to somebody go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes and they'll get you set up with somebody this has been my thank you note to BetterHelp for supporting this show
1: and i don't think you can ever be wrong like you said you can't be wrong giving a gift it's you're never gonna hurt it's like giving a tip it's not probably gonna be okay always I think you're never going to be incorrect to say thank you to somebody.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Thank You Notes podcast. My name is Travis McVeigh. I'm the host. I did my residency training at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas. I was there from the years 2007 to 2011. A lot of people help me along the way. I've been trying to have them on the show, but as it is, it's hard to sync up our schedules. I was finally able to get Dr. Alexis McQuitty to come on the show. She is a professor of anesthesia, she's a professor of cardiothoracic anesthesia, a really nice person, an avid thank you note writer, and a great teacher, and we get into all that. So let's get to my talk with Dr. Alexis McQuitty. No, just be natural. That's that's what okay. that's what that's what the people are here for. Okay. All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, this is Dr. Alexis McQuitty. Uh, she Hello. was one of my attendings during residency in Galveston at the University of Texas Medical Branch. Thank you for coming on.
1: Welcome. Thanks for uh, having me here. Even though <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. So, thank you. Just finishing work, so we can see I'm
0: uh,
1: not as sweaty, but a little bit doctor gear here. So. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're at the Shrine Hospital, so it's 90-degree rooms. 94. 94, okay. When did you start working at the Shrine full-time?
1: In 2007. So now I'm half and half, pretty much half cardiac and half Shriners, and a little bit of regular anesthesia in between.
0: Why did you switch over to the Shrine Hospital in
1: 2007? I think critical care and cardiac anesthesia were both high-acuity, difficult uh, or complicated patients, and I think... Uh, something that I I enjoyed doing. I like a lot of hands on, a lot of teaching and critically ill patients from all over the world. And I thought it was something interesting to do. So I think you make a difference.
0: Yeah, those are some of my most memorable patients from residency where the shrine kids. Nice. Uh this is the thank you notes podcast. Do you write thank you notes, Alexis?
1: Yes. Actually hand notes still. Perfect. Is that too is that old school? Yes.
0: That's what I'm here to celebrate.
1: In my drawer, in my closet, I have two drawers of uh, one is of photos, and one I have four different types of thank you notes. They're third or four, depending on what type of person I would send them to. You know, some are fun and cute, and some are more serious and are professional. So I think it's um, probably one of the most important things that we can do just acknowledge that someone did something for us or gave something to us. And I don't think you can ever be wrong. It's like giving a tip, it's not probably going to be okay always. It's important to say thank you. We teach our kids that. We just finished some Christmas thank you notes, but I don't think it's ever too late to write a thank you note. I've even written one two years later and I felt awful about it, but afterwards I felt good I did it.
0: What was the one from two years out for?
1: One of the professors of cardiac surgery wrote a letter for my promotion. And then COVID came and I kind of forgot about it. And I felt com- very guilty because it's a huge effort for that physician to do these letters. So I actually wrote it and gave him a small little gift. As a guild, nice. a guild gift, is that okay to give a guilt gift? So,
0: I think gifts in, in any shape or form are pretty okay.
1: But the last letter I wrote was a thank you to my parents for Christmas presents, which they weren't supposed to. We asked them not to give us Christmas presents anymore. And I guess they're older and now retired, and they feel like they have to give gifts now. So we actually sent them a hand letter and mailed it in March, which is a little bit late, but I still think it's okay.
0: I think it's completely fine. Do you make the kids write thank you notes?
1: Yes. In fact, we all shared them. Our youngest is 19 and he wrote the letter with us when he was home one weekend. And the other ones, uh, we always had to write them. And we would usually write them on one big sheet of a construction paper and divide it up into, I guess, quadrants. And everyone would draw a little picture and <laughs> write a note. I think it's important that they do that. So I don't think kids do that as much anymore. I don't. Maybe I'm just imagining that.
0: No, you're not imagining that at all.
1: But I think it's important and I think especially the older generation appreciates that handwritten note because I think we take time to um, to write that and say thank you for something. So
0: Perfect. Do you get a lot of thank you notes out from residency interviewees?
1: Yes, and actually a lot. I would say about 30% email, but the rest are actually come in my mailbox or slipped under my door. So I thought that was actually kind of interesting. I thought, you know, the kids younger than me, the ones that are in medical school would always be something digital or, or send something by email. But now I'm seeing much more handwritten notes. So I think that's uh, that goes a long way, especially if they take the time to do that and right. bring it to my office. Or
0: I would always write mine in the airport or whatever on the way out, just so I could have it fresh in my mind and bring uh, up something remember. from the, the interview. Yes. Well, the reason why I wanted to have you on is I wanted to talk about your teaching style. Is You let people, residents, med students, uh, everybody be really hands-on. Is that something that was modeled for you when you were a medical student or a resident?
1: I think probably that would have started much younger. My dad's a retired trauma surgeon and always growing up, I'm the oldest of my siblings um, and daughter. And so I, he would always make me do something, make me change the oil in the car before I could drive it. And so I think I started doing that as a way to remember things or or to have students or residents remember things. I think they have to touch things, have to feel things. Hand memory goes a long way to uh, brain memory. And it also, for me to be able to do that, I had to instill myself that I was comfortable doing something. So it made me be a little bit better with my own skills. I had to be comfortable first to allow them to do that. It's, It's much more enjoyable to see them doing something. They like it better. They learn. They remember it. And I think they'll be better when they're out on their own. That makes sense. It I does guess. make sense.
0: I distinctly remember you allowing medical students to play central lines when I was I was a resident. Nobody nobody else was doing that.
1: I think they have to touch a needle or touch something or feel. Mm-hmm. I think it goes a long way. And then maybe they'll enjoy medicine better later on if they had that first experience. And I think it because I started in general surgery as an intern. I remember being able to do things that I, I can believe that I w- as an intern was allowed to do that the surgeons let me do. And then I think um, maybe just carrying that forward a little bit, it made me, I guess, strive to be a better physician or a little bit uh, better skill level. And and maybe that's where that goes.
0: So is this hands-on upbringing what drove you into anesthesia?
1: Oh, I was actually never, I was going to be, I thought, a trauma surgeon. And I never knew anything else. I didn't know any other medicine. I have family of surgeons. So I thought that's what I was always supposed to be. When I got into surgery, I liked the operative part. I liked being in the operating room. I liked being at the bedside. I did not like clinic. I didn't like dressing up. I looked around and I did change. And It was big, it was very controversial at the time. I was at Herman and it was hardcore surgery. I remember them asking me, are you sure you don't want to take a sabbatical or get a divorce? And, uh, which I guess that was 20 years ago. You can ask that. And I still changed. I'm glad I did. I was a little hesitant when I got here, but now I I love it. I like the hands-on and I like, there's a we have a good camaraderie with our surgeons. Coming from that background, maybe helped with that a little bit.
0: Now, is this Herman in Houston? Is that where you started your residency mm-hmm. training?
1: That was before the hour rules. And uh, that was my first choice, actually. But it was before there were limitations on resident hours. And the longest I stayed at the hospital was Thursday morning. I left Monday night. Jeez. Going from cardiac surgery and switching over to the burn unit on the weekend. So I remember that.
0: And was the call room like a... Uh... A rocking chair or something like that.
1: Uh, there is a little tiny bed in there.
0: Okay.
1: There no cell phones; that they're just the old pagers, mm-hmm. and uh, Lifelite things like that. You know.
0: I was a medical student when they switched over the work hour restrictions, so the residents mm-hmm. I was working with all of a sudden had what they thought was all this free time. It was a pretty drastic.
1: It's pros and cons. So I think there's a little bit more emphasis now on wellness. There's also probably a loss of. Some of care. We weren't able to stay the next day to finish something. I think that needs to be a little bit better balance. So there were some pros and cons, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, with your love of being hands-on yourself, does mm-hmm. teaching students and residents scratch that itch or do you ever wish that you could do more?
1: But you still do. So that's what I was worried about because you know there's always there's the joke about uh, what is it in academics say there's those who can and then there's those who do it academics. And so at night, when I come to Shriners, I come by myself. There's no resident at night. So I'm putting the lines in, taking care of the difficult airways with patients. And so I have to make sure I can still do that. And I, I was worried about what you're saying. If the resident fails, then we're the backup. And it's always with the more difficult airways and more difficult, complicated patients. So I think it is important to maintain our skills. And it is a worry if we just let residents always do something. And I do. I always let the resident... Try until we know it's time to intervene. And I think that's the hardest thing about teaching is knowing when to intervene safely, letting them get enough time for to obtain skills, but causing no harm to the patient. And that's a, that's a fine line.
0: I didn't realize anesthesiologists were staying overnight at the shrine. I don't think that was happening. We don't stay overnight.
1: Uh, we just come in all the time.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So
1: I can get here if I drive down the seawall with my hazards on in about eight minutes. And I did come with my pajamas under my scrubs one time and no socks <laughs> and no glasses. But uh, it works. So,
0: I did want to ask you, have you noticed a change in residence?
1: I'd say it's a few years after you graduate when I think we've seen some significant changes. And I think it's medicine overall. There's books written about this. I think um, there's got to be a fine balance between this touchy-feely side, the technical side, the computer, everything's computerized, and then the hardcore science side. And what I, I think I mean by that is, I think some basic science, basic medical knowledge, there needs to be more of an emphasis on that rather than all this wellness they talk about now. I mean, now we have so many lectures on wellness and how to be happy, but what happened to basic physiology and basic science, there needs to be a little bit better balance with that. And also a little bit, um, like we just talked about, put your hands on the patient rather than looking at the at the monitor. So I think those are some differences. Um, and you may have seen residents coming out now are a little bit different than when you trained.
0: I've noticed that, especially in the people that are coming out and interviewing for jobs. There's a lot more focus on the work-life balance.
1: Travis, I don't remember that word. That wasn't something we talked about. I mean, I think in the last few years, that was something they talk about now. Uh, How much time do I get off? I don't think we had that. But we still enjoyed it. I enjoyed residency. I thought it was fun.
0: I enjoyed residency, too. I thought it was wonderful. I, I think I actually jinxed myself on an interview for asking about vacation,
1: but now it's accepted. That's how you're, I think you're supposed to ask that now. That's what everyone, how much vacation do you get? How much time will you have off? Sometimes we're maybe doing a disservice to residents because they may actually go out in the private world or academic world. I may work much longer hours than a resident does. Uh, or let's say I could home at 3 a.m. Well, I may have to go back to work at 7 a.m. And sure they'll try to get you out if they can. But if you're a resident, they um, they have some work rules and they can't come back for 10 hours. In reality, I think learning how to work when you're a little bit tired, um, to the public, it's, it's it may seem like, of course, oh, I don't want that doctor to work. But I think it's important, important that we learn how to work if you are a little bit tired, how to be healthy, still drink water, uh, exercise, stay in shape. And I think you can actually do a lot better. And I think that's why we, we travel better. We we don't have jet lag like other people do. Um, um, I may have just totally made that up, but I feel like I don't have jet lag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have to. So if we fly overseas, so
0: the nine to five stuff is is fine, but I, you know, you don't get to choose when your really, really bad cases are. And I think there right. there is value in knowing how to operate under those circumstances. And I, I don't know what it is, but when you get called in the middle of the night for something, you don't really feel tired. Granted, there's the really boring case that has to go in the middle of the night that.
1: So I feel tired only if I think about it too much, you know, I think, oh, it's coming or dreading it. And the other thing is I'd rather stay at work late than have to go home, go to sleep and get back up in the night. Um, it's much easier just to stay up. Once you've gone to sleep, it's really, I think, hard to come back.
0: So I absolutely agree. Or once I hit the threshold of the house, I don't, right. don't want to go back. So if
1: you're there, it's, it's easier just to stay and i uh, work.
0: What is your favorite thing to teach residents and students? Is it procedures? Is it basic science? Is it...
1: I call it hands-on physiology. Can I give an example? Please. I'll speak in half layman's terms, I guess. The blood pressure's low. How does a resident or student know what that is? Well, let's give volume. Does it get better? So I actually, on the wall, we have actually, um, we can draw on the wall in our burn room with magic markers. And we basically draw a sterling curve. And let's say, tell me where that patient is on the sterling curve. If they don't respond, and then, then we get an echo probe and we echo the resident. We do an old cardiac ultrasound. And so it's actually letting them see real-time physiology so rather than just reading about it i think they can read about it once but then once they see it then they'll remember that um, how it works so i think it's something like that seeing something or seeing physiology if that makes sense Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff i like to do i like to teach lines i think to teach hand skills is very important i told them i never want a surgeon to make fun of them i want them to have great hand skills so
0: that's good yeah that's Probably the reason why you're so popular amongst med students and residents is because you take the time to do those kinds of things. I, I think I would be the uh, the attending that would come in and sign the chart and
1: give a lunch so. break. And
0: I, mean, I think so. I, but I maybe it's a personality
1: because I talk to the wall. My husband gets embarrassed in the airport because I'll talk to some random people in the airport and he said, do you know those people, Alexis? Like, why are you talking to those people sometimes? But, <laughs> and that's just, I think, the way my dad is also. So embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So.
0: The the last question I had for you, before we do thank you notes, is if you couldn't be an anesthesiologist, what would you be doing?
1: I ask if you couldn't be in. I usually ask that question for interviews. If you couldn't be in medicine, what would you be? I probably would say spy, like in the Mossad. But I'm not. That's not. (laughs) I can't be that. I read all the spy books. That would be my dream. You'd Be a
0: terrible spy. That would be my
1: dream job. Uh, Number two, probably a restaurateur, like um, own restaurants, like super cool restaurants. Bring something Mm -hmm. down from like Akamel, like the Yucatan, bring it up to Galveston place okay. like that yeah all that's right. what i would do i like to cook a
0: lot so do you still go by, do you go by dr mcquitty do you are you still alexis
1: uh, i like people call me alexis yeah
0: this is my thank you note to oh, you thank you this says uh dear alexis thank you for teaching me so much and leading by example i don't think i have ever worked with a physician who is as unanimously liked and respected as you are med students residents and faculty all think you're the cat's pajamas <laughs> You were always a doctor and a person I hope to emulate. I'm sure you've only gotten better in your later youth. Thank you, Travis. My later
1: youth. Thank you. That was very nice.
0: Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, you were always, I forget how old you were when I was there, but I can't believe it. Don't, don't, I'm 40 something and then I know you're 50 now, but when I was there, I think you had turned 50. I
1: just turned 50. When I was there. I just turned 50.
0: Or 40. You just turned 40 when I was there. And I think you, you went through a bit of a shock.
1: I went through a lot. Yeah. I got married and that uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we made a little bit of scandal. So a little yeah. bit. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have some, some drama at work. So
0: did you write a thank you note to where To you? Hey listeners. It's Travis. It was at this moment. I realized I had not officially asked Alexis to prepare a thank you note for the episode. She and I have been texting back and forth for a few weeks to get this episode recorded. I guess I just forgot, and I apologize. Alexis was nice enough to prepare a thank you note and read it into her iPhone, and she sent me the file. So I'm going to play that now. For future reference, if you ever hear this music, it means I've messed up, and this is me trying to correct it. All right, so who would you like to publicly thank, Alexis?
1: Well, my letter is to my family. It's uh, not very sentimental, I guess, but but thoughtful and practical, uh, which is, I think, um, kind of describes me. Um, to my parents, thanks for putting up with me and providing a good, a good foundation uh, for my work ethic and success, uh, mostly for putting up with me. And to my husband for always supporting me and for being understanding and for having a bit of wanderlust and um, sharing the love of travel with me. And to my kids for allowing me to be your stepmom, and also thank you for your patience. The end. So short but sweet, but I think I like to just get the point across and, uh, like I said, thoughtful and practical.
0: What did your dad think of you becoming a doctor? Was he supporting it? Like, did he want it? Was he cautious?
1: He said, if you can do anything else, do that. I remember him saying that when I applied. And if you can't think of anything else you would do, then just go to medical school. So do make sure that because if you like something else, you're always going to think, God, I should be doing that, especially when you get into studying at 2 a.m. or you're going to wish, so, you know, why didn't I go to culinary school? So I think that was good advice. And then then it was just expected to do well. There wasn't a bunch of accolade when I graduated medical school or when I did some white coat ceremony. None of that was, I think, coming from a doctor's kid. It was just expected that you're going to do all these things. There wasn't a bunch of fanfare or celebration about things like that. It was just part of the the process. So I think residency was probably more important because now you're going to the real world. Residency was still hand-holding. So I think the harder graduation was residency, knowing that you had to go in the world. So
0: Are any of your kids going to be going to medicine?
1: Uh, One is a second-year ENT resident. Oh, wow. One is in dental school right now. And one is uh, going to be a psychologist.
0: Are the are they at UTMB or do they go somewhere else?
1: Uh, ones at UTMB and ones in UT Houston and uh, dental school in Houston.
0: Very cool. Last question: If somebody, like a medical student or a high school student, any anybody had wanted to become an anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. what would you tell them, and what would you tell them to to focus on?
1: Stay well rounded with education. You know, it's not just science; you have to also be able to speak well, do well in English literature, things like that. I think it goes a long way to having a good. A good science background also needs maybe a good liberal arts, you know, side of things also, and that's a long time to explain that. And number two is, you know, ask questions in, in shadow, ask to follow, and make sure you understand how they live, uh, what they what they do every day, you know, day in day out. And I think um, they'll get a good gist for it. And uh, always ask questions and stay excited about basic science, I guess.
0: Well, that was the nice thing about working with you is that there was never really a dumb question. You went out of your yeah. way to make sure everybody. I laugh
1: a little bit. but, yeah. but I would say that I have some book smarts, but not necessarily social smarts. Always, so sometimes I would say the incorrect words or incorrect phrases, the wrong joke. You know, something I may try to look up on Google and it was wrong. So I think that they can make fun of me right back. So, our open dictionary. I look something up on there. That's bad.
0: Oh no. So. Well. Alexis, you made it through without swearing, without saying anything on PC. Okay. I'm proud of you.
1: I know the Shriners, it's kids' hospital. I try not to say any bad words at this hospital. That's only at 2 a.m. across the street. So
0: I'm going to shut things off. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Dr. McQuitty. Thank you,
0: Dr. McQuitty. I
1: appreciate
0: it. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, well, have a great you day. You too. Thanks, guys. Huge, huge, huge thank you to Dr. Alexis. She was very generous with her time and... It was a huge thanks and a save for me for her to record that thank you note after the fact. Thank you for tuning in. Please rate the show on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening. Please follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that's in the show notes. And we'll see you next time.